Hare Krishna, Dandava Pranams, Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 10, Chapter 7, Text Number 26. Chinavartaha Santarayo, Vatyarupa Daro Haran, Krishnam Nabogato Gantum, Nashak Nodhuribharabrit. Translation Having assumed the form of a forceful whirlwind, the demon, Trinavarta, took Krishna very high in the sky. But when Krishna became heavier than the demon, the demon had to stop his force and could go no further. Purport by His Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami, Srila Prabhupada. Here is a competition in yogic power between Krishna and Trinavarta Sura. By practicing mystic yoga, asuras generally attain some perfection in the eight siddhis or perfections, namely anima, lagima, mahima, prapti, prakamya, ishitva, vashitva, and kamavashaita. But although a demon may acquire such powers to a very limited extent, he cannot compete with the mystic power of Krishna, for Krishna is Yogeshvara, the source of all mystic power. Yatra Yogeshvaro Harihi. No one can compete with Krishna. Sometimes, of course, having acquired a fragmental portion of Krishna's mystic power, Asuras demonstrate their power to the foolish public and assert themselves to be God, not knowing that God is the supreme Yogeshvara. Here we also see that Trinavarta assumed the Mahima city and took Krishna away as if Krishna were an ordinary child. But Krishna also became a mystic Mahima Siddha. When Mother Yashoda was carrying him, he became so heavy that his mother, who was usually accustomed to carrying him, could not bear him and had to place him down on the ground. Thus, Chinavarta had been able to take Krishna away in the presence of Mother Yashoda. But when Krishna, high in the sky, assumed the Mahima Siddhi, the demon, unable to go further, was obliged to stop his force and come down according to Krishna's desire. One should not therefore compete with Krishna's mystic power. Devotees of the Lord automatically have all mystic power, but they do not like to compete with Krishna. Instead, they fully surrender to Krishna, and their yogic power is demonstrated by Krishna's mercy. Devotees can show mystic yoga so powerful that a demon could not even dream of it, but they never try to demonstrate it for their personal sense gratification. Whatever they do is for the service of the Lord, and therefore they are always in a position superior to that of the demons. There are many karmis, yogis, and gyanis who artificially try to compete with Krishna, and thus ordinary foolish people who do not care to hear Srimad Bhagavatam from authorities Consider some rascal yogi to be Bhagavan, the Supreme Personality of Godhead. At the present moment, there are so many so-called Babas who present themselves as incarnations of God by showing some insignificant mystic wonder, and foolish people regard them as God because of lacking knowledge of Krishna. End of purport. Om Jnana Timirandasya Gyananjana Shalakaya Chakshurun Militamiana Tazma Shri Gurve Namaha Vancha Kalpa Turbyascha
कृपा सिंधु भयवचा पति चानाम पावनेब्यो वैष्णवेब्यो नमो नमः हर कृष्णा दानवा प्रणाम्स आई एम वेरी हम्बल्ड टू बी गिवन द ऑपर्चुनिटी टू स्पीक एंड आई विल ट्राई माय बेस्ट टू कैरी आउट द ऑर्डर दैट माय स्पिरिचुअल मास्टर हैज गिवन मी बिकॉज़ हिज ब्लेसिंग इज माय ओनली क्वालिफिकेशन This seventh chapter of the Shrimad Bhagavatam's tenth canto contains Krishna's pastime of killing the cart demon, Shakatasura, the salvation of Trinavarta, and Krishna showing Mother Yashoda the universe within his mouth. But today I will only be focusing on the salvation of Trinavarta. When I got to know that my topic to speak on was to be the salvation of Trinavarta, um, something came to my mind that I read a while ago. written by Shri Prabhupad that perfectly describes the Trinavarta mood he says the godless man in demon propensity engages himself in the service of the maya potency he considers himself over intelligent and by his over intellectual method he brings disaster to the tranquility of world peace he becomes a leader of similar less intelligent persons and leads them also towards destruction like a blind man leads another blind man to get themselves both fallen in the ditches the article goes on to describe how such a demoniac personality is met with another demon of a similar nature and thus a clash begins between the rival demons both of them being godless the maya goddess engages such demons in fighting with one another until they are individually or collectively vanquished by their own unholy engagements she engages them just like a school teacher engages naughty boys in the business of pulling each other's ears by each of them the demons are thus punished in their vain search out for recognition by the maya potency shri prabhupada's words are so powerful and the second part of what he said perfectly describes the trinavarta tendency to continuously argue due to false pride and false ego the trinavarta demon represents false pride and specifically false pride coming from material scholarship which generally results in dry arguments thus trinavarta is actually the perfect representation of the mayavadis such false pride allows one to think one is going up higher and higher but in fact it's only a matter of time before the lord shows us our proper place so the same height which was which trinavarta was trying to use to kill krishna was used by krishna to end his very own life the salvation of trinavarta actually happened when krishna was a 1 year old baby that day mother yashoda was engaged in playing with krishna and suddenly his weight out of nowhere became unbearable for her Bhagavatam says that she felt him to be even heavier than a mountain peak and could not carry his weight. So at this sudden change in Krishna's heaviness, Mother Yashoda she became very afraid for her son, thinking that her child may have been attacked by some ghost or some kind of demon. And because of his heaviness, she could not even place him on his bed. So after carefully placing him on the ground in the outside courtyard, She continued her regular duties and she even began praying to Narayan not understanding that Krishna was that same supreme personality of Godhead himself. 
And this happened, Krishna did this, increased his weight because Krishna, even as a baby, thought of protecting his inhabitants of Vrindavan. Due to his love, he was concerned and did not want to disturb Mother Yashoda because he knew that Trinavarta was to come for him and he was planning to enjoy the pastime of killing Trinavarta. Still, at the same time, he thought of protecting his devotees. Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, is all-knowing and he says, Vedaham samatitani vartamanani charjuna. I know everything that has happened in the past, all that is happening in the present, and all things that are yet to come. I also know all living entities, but me no one knows. So, he let Mother Yashoda play with him, just like any ordinary baby. Because he is capable of anything and everything, he increased his weight. After she placed him down, just as Krishna expected, the Trinavarta demon came in the form of a whirlwind. And the demon's plan was to bring Krishna to a great height and then drop him. And even though Krishna had killed Putana and Shakatasura before, the demon thought that this was enough to finish Krishna off. So after easily taking Krishna into the air, Trinavarta raised a storm, a dust storm that covered everything and frightened everyone and bewildered all the inhabitants of Raj. And Mother Yashoda was beyond devastated at losing sight of her Krishna. Bhagavatam compares her tearful worrying like a cow who had lost her calf. And it is actually wonderful how Krishna does this in all of his childhood pastimes. For example, in the story of Kaliya, Krishna put himself into danger. With Trinavarta, he allowed the demon to take him high up into the sky. The Supreme Lord is actually in never, in never in any danger, but making it seem so, making it look like that, serves to increase the fear, the anxiousness, the loving exchanges between him and those devotees who are worried for him. This increases the Vatsalya Rasa. The parental love of Mother Yashoda was very intensely felt in her worry and anxiety for Krishna. So we see the wonderful reactions of Mother Yashoda and the gopis. They are wonderful because Krishna is the center of all their activities. Prabhupada says too, actually, such devotees are always in transcendental bliss and such apparent calamities provide a further impetus for that bliss. So Mother Yashoda was lamenting and meanwhile, in the sky, Krishna was enjoying being taken around Vrindavan and he began playing around with Trinavarta because Trinavarta had his plans but Krishna had other plans and so Krishna suddenly was increasing his own weight again and when Trinavarta tried to let go of the baby pretending to be like any frightened child Krishna had caught onto the demon's neck tightly in the beginning Krishna's heaviness was unbearable for Mother Yashoda when Trinavarta came Krishna became lighter than the grass so that the demon could carry him away. This was Krishna's transcendental pleasure, a demonstration of Krishna's inconceivable energy. So, once again, Krishna became heavy. And with baby Krishna grabbing him by the throat, Trinavarta was choking, not able to make a sound or move his arms or legs. And so, he fell along with Krishna to the ground and to his death. And after being found by the gopis and returned to Yashoda, Baby Krishna was so undisturbed, despite just being taken so high up in the air, into the sky, 
and all the cowherd men and women of Vrindavan were all so relieved to have Krishna alive and happy, but they were astonished as well. And together they discussed him and his wonders, and they decided that they must have performed many auspicious activities in their past lives to get such good fortune, including worshipping the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Because of their intense love for Krishna, they thought that he was only an innocent child and they claimed that he had been saved by the Supreme Lord. So, such actions are inconceivable for an, any ordinary one-year-old child. But still, in Krishna's pastimes, there is a pattern. That means the central activity is killing the demons. It's a small observation, but still something to be noted. In most of Krishna's pastimes, the, pa the pastime is killing the demons. And we can see that among boys and children, they like to sport and play fighting as heroes, to kill the demons, to destroy the bad guys. This quality is among young children. But God, God is complete in all respects. So as humans, whatever propensities we have, he also has, but to a perfect full degree. That fighting propensity is there in the Supreme Lord as a child too. But the exception is that that quality finds its perfection in God. So we can see how actually very personal the Lord is. These special childhood pastimes of the Lord are not ordinary narrations and for a few reasons. From every point of view, the Lord's actions are transcendental. Everything within the Bhagavatam has relevance in the present context of our own lives. When we read the narrations of Krishna's pastimes, we should be able to draw from them both meanings. That is to say, we have to be able to relish the pastimes and at the same time understand that there are many lessons to be learned. For example, the, the meaning, meaning behind these pastimes, the meaning behind the killing of the Bakasura demon. The Anartha Bakasura represents is cunning, deceptive behavior, hypocrisy, and cheating activities. Agasura, the younger brother of Bakasura. Agasura is cruelty personified. He represents cruelty and the mentality of envy. The killing of Putana represents um, fake gurus and the killing of Kaliya, the demon means brutality and treachery. So even Trinavarta represents a lack of humility and faith caused by useless scholarship that gives way to useless and energy-depleting arguments, debates, dry reasoning, and the association of people who are attached to such things. So it brings about demoniac, sinful philosophies like Mayavad and Buddhism. So through Krishna's activities with the demons, we are given examples and we are given instructions on how we must deal with the demons that we encounter in our daily activities. In fact, we do this every day, dealing with demons. The pastimes give us an idea of what we should be watching out for. We should be able to detect these demons because often they are disguised rather cleverly. Sometimes they take the shape of hiding behind some scholarship. We can meet many so-called gentlemen with a diploma or a degree and they are considered to be very learned. They consider themselves to be very learned. But hiding behind this facade is many terrible qualities, such as atheism and pride 
and lack of faith and lack of humility. But along with the lessons to be learned from the pastimes of the Lord, we can also understand that the sweetness of the stories themselves are unlike any other material narration or entertainment. The pastimes, without a doubt, are entirely distinct from dead material topics. They're dead, they are not alive, and that which is dead cannot yield any type of real pleasure. But the pastimes of the Lord, they are said to remain fresh even after repeated readings. This quality cannot be found in mundane works. And the reason for this is because the Supreme Lord is not limited by time. He is timeless. So are his activities. The Supreme Personality of Godhead is entirely transcendental. Only Satchid Ananda, and when the person is full of knowledge, eternity, and bliss, his pastimes are full of knowledge, eternity, and bliss. They are transcendental also. When the person is Navayovana, when the person is ever fresh and ever youthful, his pastimes are too. We can therefore enjoy the pastimes again and again and again. How many times may one pick up a novel or a fiction book or hear a material song? Have you ever wondered why is it so that trends are always changing? That which is popular, it's constantly changing, always. Fashion is changing and ideas are changing and people are trying to bring forth one thing after another. Why is this so? This turning round and round is very similar to the churning of the sugarcane machine carts. Here in Mayapur, there are many sugarcane carts and when the handle of the machine is turned, the sugarcane gets squeezed. But in this material world, we can turn the handle incessantly, forever, but if the sugarcane is dry, there will be no result. Material subjects are like a stick of dry sugarcane, yet people go on and on, turning the handle and trying to get a drop of something sweet. But spirituality, on the other hand, is forever constant. It is in the mode of goodness, not passion. The pastimes of the Lord that we know are always the same pastimes that we know. The words of the scriptures never change. But, at the, but still, such nectar is flowing. It's bursting so that we do not even need to try to squeeze anything. The nectar is so available. That is the difference. Prabhupada makes a point that everything Krishna ever does is Ananda Chinmaya Rasa. He enjoys each and every one of his pastimes. He says everything was done by Krishna and enjoyed by him. Those who enjoy the activities of Krishna are therefore also on the platform of Ananda Chinmaya Rasa. So whoever engages in hearing the transcendental activities of Krishna are not on the material platform, but on the transcendental spiritual platform. Srila Tamal Krishna Goswami once said that material energy is static, but spiritual pleasure is ecstatic, forever enlivening. We hear that some people read the Bhagavad Gita again and again, and they say that each time they read, they find newer enlightenment to uncover. How is this so? Actually, this phenomenon is because this is because the process of spiritual life is a gradual unfolding. That means everything is not revealed all at once. Even though everything is easily available, it can be called like an open secret. 
and the knowledge gradually unfolds. And we can ask them, what is it that actually brings about the unfolding? What causes this gradual reveal? And really, the answer is only the mercy of the Lord. Only the mercy of the Lord can help us. Krishna in the Bhagavad Gita says, Dadami buddhi yogam tam, that I give the understanding. For only those who are surrendered and have faith in him, does he choose to give the ability to understand him. But also, as one reads, certainly, without a doubt, faith in the words of authorities and Shastra is cultivated. And as faith is cultivated, more is revealed. These two are directly proportional to each other. So such a gradual unfolding can be compared to the opening of a lotus flower, petal by petal, bit by bit. And this building of faith, it's not an academic process. That means it's not an artificial process because it is a personal relationship with Krishna. And this building of faith is crucial to the development of devotional service. And it's also important to making sure that the pastimes of the Lord are not misunderstood. That is sure to happen if proper understanding and faith in the Lord are not established. The faith is the foundation. That is why, that is why the importance of going through the nine cantos, the first nine cantos of the Srimad Bhagavatam before reading the tenth canto is a point that cannot be emphasized too much. For the first nine cantos are the key to building faith. From the beginning of the Srimad Bhagavatam, Prabhupada mentions how unscrupulous persons go immediately to the tenth canto. The pastimes of Krishna in this portion of the Srimad Bhagavatam are the most confidential things, the most confidential part of this great literature. So unless one is thoroughly accomplished in the transcendental knowledge of the Lord, one is sure to misunderstand the Lord's worshipable transcendental pastimes. However, once the soul makes endeavors to try to understand the Lord, once the soul tries, once Krishna notices the fervent attempts of the living entity, Krishna will easily choose to give the understanding. And once this happens, once this happens, Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, Janma karma chame divyam, evam yo veti tattvata, tyaktva deham punar janma naitimam etiso arjuna, that one who knows the transcendental nature of his appearance and activities, does not upon leaving the body take his birth again in this material world. So one who can understand such truth is liberated from material bondage and returns to the kingdom of God immediately after the present body. This liberation is so easily available to the devotees of the Lord. But otherwise, it's almost impossible to achieve for the materialists. We know the impersonalists, the jnanis, the yogis, they can only hope to achieve this after much, much trouble. They are too busy engaged in speculation and dry philosophical debates, in wasting their time. And while they are wasting their time throughout, they are thinking that they have found true knowledge. Now the pride that comes from thinking like this is a trap. And we know this to be the trap of the Trinavarta demon, the trap of the illusion of the attainment of knowledge, the trap of lack of faith. 
Such so-called yanis, they attempt to understand and interpret the Lord's pastimes, but they can only do so according to their level of mundane understanding. When they try, because they do not have the purity, their understanding will be on a very dry, low platform. Materialists see Krishna's narrations as completely mundane. They view Krishna's pastimes with the gopis as ordinary lust and nothing more. They think that Krishna showing Mother Yashoda the universe within his mouth is, a, is simply a story. They haven't developed the purity to understand Krishna. And such philosophers may have very important roles in this material world. But such people are spiritually insignificant. And in fact, most people do occupy great positions in this world. Most, most such people. At every moment, we are surrounded by Trinavartas all around us. These are the Trinavartas on the outside in this world. The politicians and leaders are all Trinavartas, full of lack of faith, and they romanticize their so-called intelligence, considering themselves to be learned. And the pride that comes from this blocks all faith. This lack of faith and this lack of humility is a quality the demoniac people praise. But it is the opposite in the spiritual world. When it comes to spirituality, lack of faith is a serious debilitation in transcendental life. Of course, on one hand, it is good to have a healthy amount of doubt. When we are doubtful, we say we evaluate things thoroughly. Being a devotee, of course, does not mean having the lack of ability to evaluate and analyze and consider things properly. And even the Bhagavatam says, Samsayota viparyasho nishchaya smriti evacha sopa iti uchater buddhir that doubt is one of the important functions of intelligence. For example, when visiting a doctor, it is good to consider is this doctor good? Is he qualified? We need not believe anything and everything we are told, not immediately. And if some doctor prescribes something absolutely bogus and wrong, of course, it is good to have doubts. But we cannot cure our sickness with doubt only. The point is that doubting is not favorable or good when one doubts bona fide authorities. Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita that for the doubting soul, there is happiness neither in this world nor in the next. So to doubt requires intelligence, but to keep doubting is not intelligent. So the problem with these puffed-up argumentators is that the ability to trust and have faith is spoiled. To do so, to be too proud and skeptical is bad, but just see how such people take this as their greatest pride. Someone once said that skepticism can only tell us what is wrong. It can never tell us what is right. Again, we cannot cure our sickness with doubt. So if such arguing can never bring one toward the truth, then where is the point? Such dry arguments can only lead one in circles. Therefore, it is a waste of time. If people were asked, nobody would agree to participate in an argument without a conclusion. Yet this is what the so-called learned men are doing, chasing their tails like dogs, in circles without a goal. So real intelligence means that when the bona fide source comes across, we accept. Once the bona fide authority is found, that means once the spiritual master is found, then tadvidi pranipatena. 
Pariprashnena. Pariprashnena means humble inquiries, humble prashna. And humble is the key word because we cannot make inquiries in any other mood. It is always natural to have some type of questions, some type of doubt, but if such questions are asked in an argumentative and challenging spirit, it becomes impossible to understand the truth. Such a challenging spirit means that a Trinavarta is raging within the heart. That means bringing up a storm. And when such a chaotic storm is raised, even though we may receive genuine answers, we will be blind to them, just as Trinavarta tried to blind the residents of Vrindavan. So we cannot encourage our pride by feeding it as it wishes, because copying Trinavarta is foolish by increasing the height we are going to eventually fall from. The mistake that Trinavarta did, increasing the height, is what the people of Kali Yuga have been doing for ages. Due to sinful activities like the killing of millions of innocent animals, slaughterhouses meant for cows, plundering everything from Mother Earth just for the sake of our own enjoyment, the height that we are at now is very great. Because of the mentality of I, me and mine, the world has become extremely ugly. Then the pandemic comes and we wonder when the end of these disasters will be. The answer for the cause of our suffering is in the Srimad Bhagavatam. The root cause of disaster in human society is the individual mistakes, is the result of the Trinavarta mentality, following the instructions of Kamsa to challenge God. We see what is happening on the outside, but what is happening on the inside is even worse, because more dangerous than the Trinavartas outside is the Trinavarta within the heart. Everyone has a Trinavarta within the heart, some more, some less, raising a storm so dense that it is blinding. And the only thing that we have left to do in our situation is to beg Krishna to drag this Trinavarta down and destroy him. What happens when the Trinavarta is raised within the heart is that the heart becomes dried up. The, such qualities dry up the heart. It dries up the soil of the heart, which is meant to be fertile and soft by humility, to allow seeds of devotion to grow. But when such arguments drain all humility from the heart, what is the point? We can instead save so much energy and time by avoiding the trap of Trinavarta and enriching the soil of our hearts with devotion. Therefore, we should cultivate Krishna consciousness with faith, then we will get true knowledge. In this way, we can, we can achieve perfection. We cannot try to become all knowledgeable first. That is the mistake. Knowledge before faith is the downfall. Thus, Srila Prabhupada says that one who accepts the truth on the strength of the authority of the Vedas and of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, and who does not waste time in philosophical speculations attains the highest perfectional stage of liberation. Simply by accepting this truth on faith, this is perfection. So we can understand that the process of understanding the Lord, like I mentioned before, is not an academic process. That is to say, it is not so superficial and shallow. In such a process, there is no use for the ability to read and write nicely and debate expertly if it increases pride. 
Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu once came across an illiterate Brahmana who was crying tears of transcendental ecstasy while reading the Bhagavad Gita. Even though he could not understand a single word of the Gita, he was touched by the image of Krishna acting as a charioteer for his beloved devotee Arjuna. This illiterate Brahmana experienced true devotion and he perfectly understood the mood of the Supreme Lord when dealing with his devotees. We also know that Srila Gaurakishore Das Babaji Maharaj, Acharya in our parampara, was completely illiterate. He was completely illiterate. Yet this was unimportant. The most, because the most learned man of his age, Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur, a learned scholar, took him as spiritual master. Our very own Srila Bhakti Vinoda Thakur, he condemns mundane scholarship in his six limbs of Sharnagati. And he says in Vidyara Vilase, Song 2 of Danya Humility, he says, With great enthusiasm, I spent my time in the pleasures of mundane learning and never worshipped your lotus feet, O Lord. Reading on and on, my hopes grew and they grew, for I considered the acquisition of material knowledge to be life's true goal. How fruitless those hopes turned out to be, for all my knowledge proved feeble. Now I know that all such erudition is actually pure ignorance. Indulgence in mundane knowledge encourages the soul's infatuation with this temporary world. In his prayers, he says, indulging in the pleasures of mundane learning. But what really are the pleasures of mundane learning? There really is not much to indulge in. The only thing that can be gained from such knowledge, from such learning, is securing a so-called stable material future. And it is so-called because truly, can anything materially related be called stable? No, therefore material knowledge is useless in this regard. The only other pleasure of mundane learning is an ego boost that causes the mind to believe one has found truth in such knowledge, if it can actually be called knowledge. So the so-called pleasures of material learning only entangle one. And in the end, regardless of any arguments otherwise, mundane knowledge is not the goal of this life. The modern education system that we have does not say a single word about the purpose of life, about the Lord, about self-realization, nothing about how the only way to get free from the clutches of maya, of the miseries of life, is not through earning more money, but actually through spiritual knowledge. In all of those textbooks, there is not a single word about how to love the Lord. And that is why Srila Bhaktivinoda Thakur calls material knowledge pure ignorance. And ignorance is usually called dull and miserable. But Bhaktivinoda Thakur describes such deep ignorance as intolerable and burning. He says, life has now become agony for my so-called erudite knowledge has proven itself to be worthless ignorance. Material knowledge has now become a pointed shaft and has pierced my heart with the intolerable burning pain of ignorance. So not only is material education fruitless, but it is also debilitating. Bhaktivinoda Thakur concludes his prayer saying that there is no treasure worth seeking in the material world other than Krishna's lotus feet. And he ends saying, Bhaktivinoda abandons all his mundane knowledge and makes your lotus feet the sum and substance of his life. 
Srila Bhaktivinoda Thakur was extremely learned. He was not only a great lawyer, he was also an, an astounding poet. The power in his words and his skill is evident. He wrote many books and many poems that caught the attention of great Western writers. His education was top-notch and he was a scholar. But more than that, more than all of that, he was a pure devotee of the Lord, a perfect example. And this is what he says of material education. Our hearts are supposed to be compared to Vrindavan, where Krishna should reside always. If such knowledge only raises the Trinavarta in the heart and carries Krishna away, such knowledge cannot be called knowledge. So therefore, the real jnani is the bhakti yogi. That means that the real knowledgeable one has his knowledge by the grace of the Lord. The knowledge of the real jnani lies in humility, humility and faith. Trinadapi sunichena tarorapi sahishnuna amanina manadena kirtaniya sadaharihi to be humble like a blade of grass that is the requirement a fruitful heavy tree always bows down an empty tree moves restlessly in the wind high above all others so herein we finally come to the mercy of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu he has inaugurated the Sankirtan movement, the chanting of the holy name of the Lord. And in every town, in every village he went to, he induced everyone to chant and dance in ecstasy. And we can just see how Mahaprabhu went to Benares. And when he went there, there were many uh, Mayavadi scholars. Trinavarta is the very representation of Mayavad philosophy. And all of the Mayavadi scholars were there, the big Gyanis, big Vedantists. And when they heard of the activities of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, they ridiculed him as a sentimentalist, singing and dancing and chanting the names of the Lord so loudly. And when Mahaprabhu came among them, he simply smiled and he said, Yes, my, my Guru Maharaj has turned me a fool. And he has instructed me not to engage in the study of Vedanta. He has told me to only chant the holy name, the Hare Krishna mantra. And I find that as I am chanting, I become overwhelmed with ecstasy. And he says, I don't know if I am overwhelmed with illusion or what this is, but I find that I simply cannot control myself. So Mahaprabhu considered himself to be a fool. How is this possible? Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is the greatest personality. He is Krishna himself. But we can understand, it is not like Mahaprabhu was a fool. To think so too is a great mistake. We can see, here he is instead telling us exactly what our position is. What is our position? We can see around us. We are ignorant. We, the people of Kali Yuga, are absolute fools. We are deluded overwhelmed by the modes of the material energy. So what business do we have trying to engage in the study of Vedanta or in material topics? The process advocated by Mahaprabhu for the people of Kali Yuga is simply the chanting of the Maha Mantra. This is the prime benediction for humanity at large. Everybody in this age is fallen, lower than the Shudras. And what is that process for the lowest of the low? That is Sankirtan Yagya, the chanting of the Maha Mantra. 
It cleanses the heart of all the dust accumulated for years. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was, of course, not ignorant in um, studies of the Vedanta. He had Vedanta discourses with only a few of his most confidential devotees, with Srila Sanatana and Rupa Goswamis, with Srila Ramananda Roy, with Srila Saurabh Damodar Goswami, with all these great personalities, he discussed exalted subjects. Prabhupada said, a Vaishnava should be completely conversant with Vedanta philosophy, yet he should not think that studying Vedanta is all in all and therefore be not attached to the chanting of the holy name. Mahaprabhu was, of course, he was not just conversant in these topics. He is the source of these topics. As a Supreme Lord, he understood all this perfectly. Yet, he took a humble position, referring to himself as a madman. The actions of Mahaprabhu cannot be imitated by us. It is not possible for us to attain perfection simply by studying Vedanta philosophy and meditating. Nowadays in Kali Yuga, nobody is qualified. Prabhupada says all yagyas are forbidden. This is because there are no qualified yagyic brahmanas. But what is the yagya for this age? Yagya is meant to satisfy Vishnu. Yagnartat karma non natra, lokayam karma bandana. And what is the process that satisfies the Lord the most? The chanting of the Hare Krishna Mahamantra is the ultimate way to please the Lord. And what is the method that is prescribed for the mass of people? Sankirtan, Sankirtan Yagya. Plus, where is the question of lack of intelligence when it comes to the chanting of the holy name? Anybody can chant, even a fool can chant Hare Krishna. And that is what we all are in this material world. We are all fools. Otherwise, how could we have come here? How can one still be puffed up in this material world after taking one look around at one's current position? So the holy name takes such a fool and cleanses them, and this is Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's mercy. And it is to be understood that one who chants the holy name of the Lord is getting the benefit of performing all kinds of ritualistic activities, visiting all the holy places, doing all kinds of austerities and reading the Vedas from one end to another. And in this day and age, there are all kinds of shortcomings. But there is one auspicious thing to the Kali Yuga, and that is the Yuga Dharma, given to us by Mahaprabhu. This is the greatest mercy of God. The greatest mercy of God is His incarnation as Mahaprabhu, and the greatest mercy of Mahaprabhu is His gift of the Holy Name. And Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and Bhaktivinoda Thakur both predicted that a Sinapati Bhakta would appear who will preach the names and the glories of the Supreme Lord throughout the whole world. We know that Sinapati Bhakta to be Srila Prabhupada. After receiving instructions from Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur to preach Krishna consciousness throughout the world, Srila Prabhupada took this great responsibility and he proved the prophecy of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu to be true. Srila Prabhupada is mercy personified. He came to make understood what Mahaprabhu indicated. Without Prabhupada, it would not be possible to get the mercy of Mahaprabhu. And Prabhupada was such a greatly self-realized personality. Just because of his compassion for the fallen souls, he even did what Krishna Dvaipayana Vyasadeva himself said was impossible. He wrote the Krishna book first, which is nothing more than a summary of the whole entire 10th canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam. 
Nobody ordinary could ever do such a thing, directly summarize the highest understanding of Krishna and give it to the lowest class of men. The purity required to do this is beyond our comprehension and this was possible because Prabhupada was empowered. Everything he did, why could nobody else do that? Why could nobody else do everything he accomplished? He was empowered and he was empowered because he risked everything. He left Vrindavan, which nobody wishes to leave because everyone wishes to, wishes to stay there and die there. Everybody else was staying safely in Vrindavan, but Srila Prabhupada was the empowered one. And he knew very well that everybody was watching and following the Western world. And he knew that if these people could be elevated, then the whole world could be too. So with nothing except devotion and faith in his guru's order, he left behind all material and spiritually comfortable things. For the sake of the movement, he gave up living in the only place he knew where there were Indian people in America, and instead he went to New York City. Who was there for him? Nobody. He had to live in an office, not even an actual residence. At some point, everything he had was stolen. His typewriter was stolen, which was practically all he had. He moved into the Bowery, where only the drunkards were living. He had to step over drunks every day to reach his living places, and the person he was staying with was a drug addict. One day, after taking a massive deal of drugs, he even tried to kill Prabhupada. These are the things Prabhupada had to go through. The most wonderful gem, a perfect sadhu, hidden in a place like that. Around that time, Prabhupada was once sitting on a bench all alone. And this one man approached him, and Prabhupada began speaking to him. This man told the story of how this happened after Shiva Prabhupada left this world. And this man described that an old Indian gentleman in robes was speaking to him about a huge movement with hundreds of temples, great deities, farms and schools and etc. And he asked Prabhupada, where are all these things? And Prabhupada said, they are there. They are there, but only time is separating. Prabhupada could foresee all of these things. In Prabhupada's diary that he kept aboard the Jaladutta, there was a poem Srila Prabhupada had written on, the, on board the ship just after it had arrived in Boston Harbor. And the poem beautifully captures Prabhupada's humility mixed with his determination to change the consciousness of America. And he prayed to Krishna saying, My dear Lord Krishna, you are so kind upon this useless soul, but I do not know why you have brought me here. Now you can do whatever you like with me. But I guess you have some business here. Otherwise, why would you bring me to this terrible place? Most of the population here is covered by the material modes of ignorance and passion. Absorbed in material life, they think themselves happy and satisfied, and they have no taste for the transcendental message of, Ma of Vasudev. I do not know how they will be able to understand it, but I know your causeless mercy can make everything possible because you are the most expert mystic. How will they be able to understand the mellows of devotional service? O Lord, I am simply praying for your mercy so that I will be able to convince them about your message. All living entities have become under the control of the illusory energy by your will, and therefore, if you like, by your will, they can be released from the clutches of illusion. I wish that you deliver them. Therefore, if you so desire their deliverance, then only will they be able to understand your message. The words of the Srimad Bhagavatam are your incarnation, and if a sober person repeatedly receives them with submissive oral reception, 
then he will be able to understand your message. It is said in the Srimad Bhagavatam, Sri Krishna, the personality of Godhead, who is the Paramatma in everyone's heart and the benefactor of the truthful de devotee, cleanses desire for material enjoyment from the heart of the devotee who relishes his message, which are in themselves virtuous when properly heard and chanted. By regularly hearing the Bhagavatam and rendering service unto the pure devotee, all that is troublesome to the heart is practically destroyed, and loving service unto the glorious Lord, who is praised with transcendental songs, is established as an irrevocable fact. At the time loving service is established in the heart, the modes of passion, rajas, and ignorance, tamas, and lust and desire disappear from the heart. Then the devotee is established in goodness, and he becomes happy. Thus established in the mode of goodness, the man, rejuvenated by loving service to the Lord, gains, service, gains liberation from material association and comes to know scientifically the personality of Godhead. Thus the knots of the heart and all misgivings are cut to pieces. The chain of fruitive actions, karma, is terminated when one sees the self as master. He will become liberated from the influence of the modes and ignorance of passion, and thus all inauspicious things accumulated in the core of the heart will disappear. How will I make them understand this message of Krishna consciousness? I am very unfortunate, unqualified, and the most fallen. Therefore, I am seeking your benediction, so that I can convince them, for I am powerless to do so on my own. Somehow or the other, O Lord, you have brought me here to speak about you. Now, my Lord, it is up to you to make me a success or failure as you like. O spiritual master of all the worlds, I can simply repeat your message, so if you like, you can make my power of speaking suitable for their understanding. Only by your causeless mercy will my words become pure. I am sure that when this transcendental message penetrates their hearts, they will certainly feel engladdened and thus become liberated from all unhappy conditions of life. O Lord, I am just like a puppet in your hands. So if you have brought me here to dance, then make me dance, make me dance. O Lord, make me dance as you like. I have no devotion, nor do I have any knowledge, but I have strong faith in the holy name of Krishna. I have been designated as Bhaktivedanta, and now, if you like, you can fulfill the real port of Bhaktivedanta. Signed, the most unfortunate, insignificant beggar, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami on board the ship Jaladuta. We see that everything Prabhupada prayed Krishna to help him to do became successful. We see how Srila Prabhupada predicted everything that is going on now. And, and Srila Prabhupada has actually given us everything. Our very life is dependent on Prabhupada's mercy. And the current situation we are in now is a wake-up call for the leaders of the world, a wake-up call for each individual, that it is time to listen to Srila Prabhupada. Just as he had predicted, we are seeing massive deception by the governments and apparent leaders. We are seeing the masses of people feeling the loss of hope and drowning in the depths of despair. So many things are coming true that Srila Prabhupada foresaw and we have to hold on to Prabhupada's teachings and truly understand that he came directly from the spiritual world and he has directed us. Not only has Srila Prabhupada helped us to understand the source of our miseries in this temporary world, he has given us relief in his books and instructions. We are in terrible times in a troubled world, 
but we are lucky to have Srila Prabhupada as our eternal guide. He is still guiding us at every moment. The only qualification is that we hear from him sincerely and faithfully. I will conclude with a quote from the teachings of Queen Kunti. As long as we are in this material world, there must be calamities, because this is the place of calamity. But even with calamities, our business should be to develop our Krishna consciousness so that after giving up this body, we may go back home, back to Krishna. So to summarize everything, I quoted um, a quote I thought appropriate of Srila Prabhupada's to the nature of the Trinavarta demon, narrated the pastime of Krishna and Trinavarta briefly, discussed the nature of Krishna's activities, both what may be learnt from these pastimes and what may be relished from these pastimes, and how these pastimes are distinct from material topics. How it is important to avoid both blind faith and lack of faith. Because true knowledge comes from the bona fide source and from the blessings of the Lord. There is no use for the ability to read and write nicely and debate expertly if it only increases pride. This is the Trinavarta trap we must not fall into. Humility's importance cannot be undermined. We see how Mahaprabhu dealt with the Mayavadis and showed us our true position. We, and we should take shelter of Mahaprabhu's gift of the Holy Name and Mahaprabhu's Senapati Bhakta, Srila Prabhupada. We need faith and humility to chant the Holy Name. And strong faith is best built upon knowledge coming from the right authorities. True knowledge cannot be gained with a destructive Trinavarta mentality. But if we carefully avoid the storm of pride and needless arguments, then Krishna will enrich the soil of our hearts and make it fertile so we can fully understand the meaning of his pastimes. Thank you very much. Hare Krishna. Thank you.